Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Hello there. And this week, once again, no exception as we roll into episode 187, looking at the career, the filmography of Wes Anderson. Oh, I mean, it's a, it's a big one because I'm a bit, mm, and you're a big fan. So, chalk and cheese, mate, the odd couple. Am I going to change my mind? Let's find out. It is a weird one because as long as I've known you and we've discussed film, Wes Anderson is always someone that we go back to in a, I love, you don't hate. I but don't you're hate. Like, you're like, eh. I think, I think he's the equivalent of my eyes rolling. <laughs> That's what I can physically feel my mm. eyes roll when someone mentions his name. But I've rewatched a lot of them this week, so maybe I've changed my mind. Or more likely, I've deep-rooted and I'm further in my hole. But you'll find out. Exciting. <laughs> Exciting. It could be. What, what, what will it be? You're going to get a lot of praise from me there. Wes Anderson is one of those directors, filmmakers, screenwriters that I adore. I love the works of Wes Anderson, so I'm looking forward to talking about them and giving a bit of a top three, I guess. Mm, yeah. Uh, on top of that, anything else that we've been watching this week? So this is Sorry You're In My Seat. Thank you for downloading. If it's your first time, welcome. Don't forget to like, subscribe. We get a new episode each and every week. And by the end of the episodes, if we made you laugh, made you think, made you ponder, do, don't forget to leave us a review as long as it's positive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just We don't care what you think as long as it's positive. Yeah. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Oh, you know what it is. It's what it is, isn't it? But no, it does mean the world to us if you can leave a review. If you can, like, subscribe. We get a new episode each and every week. There we go. There's the housekeeping. Let's go on with the show. Right. So um, I don't know how you are. My week has been rather humdrum. We're in an interesting time at the minute. You know, cinemas, I would say now, are back to where they belong. They're started spitting out the films now. I think there's a release every month now of a film I'm going to go see. It's going to carry me on. Bear in mind, it's, so it's March still. It's quite a good phase. So I'm really looking forward to the future. What's next? What's People have been sat at their homes, directors, writers. They've spent the last two years thinking, mate, creating. And we're now coming to the byproduct of this. So you're a big Star Wars fan. Obi-Wan Kenobi teasers come Ooh. out. I know you're excited, mate. I know you're all over that. You, you were explaining to me just before we recorded about the role of the Inquisitor. Tell you what, mate, I'm interested because it's different and you know me. Star Wars universe excites me. I'm mm. bored of being stuck in the same storyline. You mentioned Inquisitors to me. I'm up. I'm in. I'm ready. I want to see it. I want to see the Inquisitors hunting the Jedi. Of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi hidden away, keeping his eyes on Luke. I think it's going to be a really good show. I, I really want that Darth Maul bit in it. Yeah, I really want to see uh, Darth Vader return. I want to see the Battle of the Century, the rematch yeah. that everyone's excited for. It's going to kill me waiting weekly to watch these because Boba Fett and, some, and the Mandalorian, I let them build up and then binge them. Well, I'm going to have to watch this as it comes out. I'm going to be that dude It's midnight waiting for it. You can't, you can't let yourself be spoiled though. And also mm. I've done this. This is... This is like Amazon. They don't release them at midnight. It comes to be like four in the morning. So what you want to do is go to bed early, set your alarm. And mm. you can hold it. This is genuinely what I did for Game of Thrones at work. Because I'd seen like the last series, I'd always seen an episode and then go to work. That's how I got people to do what I wanted. <laughs> like, tell me, I'll tell you what happened to Jon Snow. <laughs> so you can do that. Other trailers, I mean, The Boy season three did another teaser trailer. I don't know. I think The Boys is sometimes too graphic for graphic sake. However, I've just watched the animated series on Amazon. And I, I genuinely quite funny, like the Animatrix from a few years ago, telling different stories, different mm. art styles, different directors. There's an episode from the creators of Rick and Morty and it is... It's brilliant how brilliantly fantastic those worlds collide. This over-the-top superhero and like a ghost 
is you you follow around for like twelve minutes, but then <laughs> there's the narrator who powers they narrate everything by Christian uh, Christian Slayer. His voice like velvet is it's actually phenomenal how those two worlds have collided to give you something great. So the boys, I'm excited for. I okay. didn't know I didn't know the animated series had come out. I didn't oh. even know it was coming out. I saw it on Amazon the other day, and I was like, "What? Okay, cool. I haven't seen it yet, but I will." Just as bloody as this, but more so because it's animated. So a lot of fun. But again, and- but again, Star Wars did that with Visions. You know, when Star Wars brought out the eight different, ta- I think it was eight or nine tales from different art styles that were uh, different fables and legends from in the Star Wars universe. They they were really interesting as well. I don't know what I feel. Another animation episode coming on. It's mm. <laughs> Tickling my pickle, I can feel it. I've got mm. a newfound respect and love. So, a lot of things to be excited about. Unfortunately, Morbius is still coming out. So, we're sorry. There's nothing I, I, I can do about it. I kind of want to see it now just to get it done. <laughs> I can't think of a film. There was one of it. There was one of a film that, uh, and I never actually ended up seeing it. That I saw at the I saw at the um, at the cinema for about a year, <laughs> and it was about these kids that have powers like X Meny looking. But oh, it, I saw that. Wasn't but it? it kind of set up the idea that it was like part of a book trilogy or something. And it was about you know, there's all these films that came out like the Maze Runner films and and Hunger Games, and there's all these kind of different films. But there's this one with these kids, and they had like powers, and they were being like rounded up and very X Men Logan yeah. kind of style. And I saw that trailer so many times where this. One powerful one pulls down a helicopter out of the sky. And I was like, I've seen this trailer so many times. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't want to watch it. Because it just got pushed back and delayed and delayed. And then I think it flopped when it finally came out. Because people people were like, you mate, they didn't want to see it. And that's how I feel about Morbius. Morbius. Yeah. Cause it, and this is the thing, isn't it, now, is that um, a lot of these comic book movies, they when something's hot, they quickly you know throw in a rewrite or yeah. an additional scene. And Morbius, by all, by all accounts... It's had two additional runs and two additional <laughs> scenes filmed. I still don't care. <laughs> yeah. So that's the one that they're kind of hoping that they're going to fit more backstory into, you know, because everyone now wants, what's Sony going to do? Um, so exciting times. And at the same time, it's good to be about. So the big release I saw this week on Netflix, mate, was The Adam Project. Have you seen it? No. I'd, right. So again... I like Ryan Reynolds. I like Ryan Reynolds. I say this every fucking time. I like Ryan Reynolds right the way back from two guys ago on a pizza place. Yeah, you did. You're, you're oh. the only person I've ever seen that. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was found back then. I stuck by him with Van Wilder, mate. All right. So, so uh, you know, so when he got his breakthrough after Blade 3, it turns out all you need is abs. Yep. You know, and yeah. a couple of jokes. But I, I do like Ryan Reynolds. That but killed so many his career, though. Mm. Who's, isn't it Jessica Biel? I, just, I saw her in Blade 3 and I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else that except for the episode of, um, is it The Stranger? With Bill Pullman? Oh, the... Um, well, is it not The Stranger? No. It's, it's, yeah, I've just finished watching it this oh, week. It's, it's that, that murder mystery, but it's not really a mystery. It's more about the motive, isn't it? Not the actual crime, which yeah. is a bit cool. It's nice to see Bill Pullman in all things. I've just watched the fourth season this week and I cannot think what that TV show is called. Good season, wasn't it? <laughs> not really. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. So I just could be on in it, it's fine. She's not in anything now. <laughs> yeah, she produces that show. Oh, does she? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So um, the Adam Project. So what you're getting is you're getting slick. So I was talking about people have been refining their skills for the last two years. So the Adam Project, directed by Sean Levy, Cheaper by the Dozen, and the upcoming um, the upcoming Deadpool film, which has got some troubles in it. Have you seen, sorry, have you seen the, they've remade Cheaper by the Dozen as well? Was that Braff? No. Yeah, it's coming on the Disney Channel in a couple of months. Oh, Zach. See that? It's, he's got some bills to pay. <laughs> so he's, 
starring Ryan Reynolds, Mark Buffalo, Jennifer Garner, and Zoe Saldana. I've really loved Zoe Saldana. Um, I'm I'm that person that's still hoping that she's coming back for Star Trek IV because no one else is. (laughs) No one else is signed on for that. In a dystopian future, fighter pilot Adam Reed has to steal a jet and go back in time. Oh, no. Travelling to stop a crime committed in 2018. Bit of mystery. Something's happened in 2018. Doesn't matter because he ends up in 2022. <laughs> Where he meets a young boy and they've got some sort of connection. It is in a trade, if it's not a spoiler, it's his younger self. And it's all about the moral dilemma, which I've injected. It's about the dilemma of possibly knowing your fate, knowing your future. Does that change the repercussions? Do you have a greater good to sacrifice yourself for the bigger question? Ultimately, nothing's really answered in this play-by-numbers film where Ryan Reynolds plays Ryan Reynolds. Suave, sophisticated, slick. The problem is the 12-year-old isn't suave, sophisticated, swift. That shows character development. It does show character development. Unfortunately, you don't see it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's really easy to do. It's like if The Rock had shown up, I was like, yeah, you turned Mm. into me. That's a much more interesting story. I would like to see how the kid turns into The Rock. Um, Paint-by-numbers. However, genuine moments of of being moved in there. Um, some scenes I genuinely didn't think that I would experience uh, at a level that I did. It was actually quite, I was like, that's actually well written. The writing is on a different level to the hmm. film. Um, it is ultimately though average. And there's nothing wrong with that sometimes. It's not the best of anyone's work. There are some laughs. Um, Mara Flo's underutilised. Mm. Mara Flo is the name that I was interested in and Zoe Zander. Um, she does have a bigger role as the film goes on. But um, it's Ryan Reynolds essentially with a kid. It's that film, we always talk about badges. You've got to do a Western badge. You do have to do a film with a kid. Or a CGI you, dog. Or a CGI dog. Them's Chan and <laughs> Um this this is his working with his younger self. It's it's not great. But it's not bad. It's one hour and ten minutes. Mm. It's great for a Saturday. If you want to put it on in the background, you're not harming anyone. Kids, I, think I'll, I think I'll watch it one evening, you know, when I've not it, got anything else on. It's not harmful. It's not hurting anyone. Is it long? Now yeah, it does. The middle part drags, mate. Mm. The middle part, once you get over the, oh, time travel. And they, you do get over it quite quickly. I want to spend more time in the future, mm. but you don't spend enough time there. They set up the future to be actually quite a more interesting place, this kind of dystopian place where you have to escape. The only way to escape is to go back in time. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> I like time travel films. I like time travel films. It's a, it's a, I suppose it's a world in everyone's dry, the amount of fun you can have with time travel, travel stuff. And I, I would do, I'm all about the, the, the Nicholas Lindhurst philosophy of if yes. you, if you could go back in time, rig it. Yeah. If you know stuff that no one else knows, use that to your advantage. None of this bullshit of like, no, it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Like you got to let nature play its course and we can't play around with timelines. So no bullshit. Yeah. Go back in time, start another family. <laughs> you should cheat on your wife in this future. If no one knows what we're talking about, we're talking about the truly epic good nights for you. Yeah. I didn't mean that part of it. I meant, <laughs> I meant the fact that he, he goes back in time and he, he obviously I'll tell you what, though. has the bookies. He knows who wins in the horses and yeah. uses that to his advantage. You, we talk about all these things in the world, but let's just say that one thing that, that series knew how to end. Mm. That was a heartbreaking finale where he genuinely is oh no spoilers because you might go out there and watch the epic that is Goodnight Sweetheart with Linda <laughs> Nicholas Linderst <laughs> what a great film I think we should do brilliant TV shows mm. uh, British brilliant TV shows like that yeah because they just that's fantastic Paul that's what I would do I would I'd fuck about with a timeline no end it's just like I love the fact that in Britain he do he does that mm. whereas you know in America he's oh no you can't steal the almanac <laughs> 
dickhead. <laughs> the thing with Ryan Reynolds as well is, and we talked about this loads, and this was, sorry, my point about Ryan Reynolds, saying that I've, I've always been a fan. I think he's charming bloke. Some, when he turns out good stuff, his comedy's great. That deadpan, that deadpan humour he does. Now, I'm not comparing him to Bill Murray, but Bill Murray had that in the bag as well. That kind of like, Bill Murray brings a deadpan, dry, sarcastic humour. Which is, which is utilised brilliantly by a certain director. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so. um, yeah, which we'll get on to. But um, in, uh, and Ryan Reynolds kind of has that as well. He has that, that wit that, that, that he's funny that feeds into Deadpool so well and a lot of the comedies that he's done. It's, but that, that online presence that he's got now, very much like The Rock, you know, we talk about this all the time. You know, The Adam Project is the best film he's ever been in. It's, you know, it's like, it's not. He's it's saying that. Fun. And then when the reviews come in, you go, ah, I can't win them all. Yeah, I think the reviews have been like me that, you know, bit 50-50. Some people like it, some people, yeah. But most people, it's one of the mills. Paint by numbers. No Triumph, sponsor. though, that it's on Netflix, because again, it just means that you've, it's just so much better, isn't it, watching from home and being yes. like, oh, that was okay. Rather than, you know, getting a babysitter, going in town, paying for parking, paying for snacks, getting your cinema tickets, and then being like, oh, this is not it. This is not that film. Um, you've known me a long time. We're talking about one of the best independent directors, you know, takes chances, takes styles, does things a bit different, goes against the grain. Mm. I love the Foot Soldier movies. <laughs> what? How did we I, get here? <laughs> because I watched them this week, and because there's a fifth one coming out, and the big debate is, do <laughs> Before I... we started, I was I, like, what have you seen this week? Do, do I... You left this nugget out, didn't you? Do I... So they're, they're, they're bad. Yeah. They're so bad. They are really bad. However, they're a guilty pleasure. I'm not saying they're not winning awards, but I do want to redo my list. You know, when we did our list in episode one, we talked about our favourites. Favourite bad movie, because if we make favourite game, uh, film game adaptation, I could move Mortal Kombat to there. Yeah. And that would free up this movie. I'm just saying, mate, they're terrible films about ridiculous people, overblown, historically historically out of the wall. None of this is true. However, this franchise was lagging, mate. The fourth one, Marbella, it's still Craig Fairbass. Uh, if you don't know him, Dan from EastEnders or the the, the henchman. In fucking, cliffhanger. <laughs> cliffhanger. Who's like, do you like soccer? <laughs> kicks yeah, a kicks guy from out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so we've got this. And there's only, they're running out of ideas. The fifth one's out on Amazon, mate. It's something like 9.99. Do I buy it? Because to inject newness into this franchise, I swear to God, they've brought in Vinnie Jones. And, they, <laughs> and I was just thinking, I feel like I should pay them extra for that. Because to save you, Vinnie Jones. To save you might save you. I'm not saying this franchise is bad. I'm just saying that obviously they want to go to the next level. I did, so I did see Jones. that. Did the first one have um, Sean Bean in it or someone big? No, it, the problem is it's this, I really don't like the story. So I know that makes me hypocritical. I love the overacting and the hard man attitude because it's laughable. You sit there and you just, you're taking the piss out mm. of these characters and they're, but no, it's that story of those three criminals that got shot and it's always retold. Sean Bean's done one of the things called the Essex Boys. Then there's Bounded uh, bound, bounded by Blood, Bonded by Blood. There's loads of them about the same story. What I love about this one, it's got sequels about these characters that died in the first one. Right. <laughs> it's just it's just got like this alternative history, which I adore because it it's unapologetic. It's like, we don't get it. And it shows you that there's this subculture of filmmaking in Britain that is just crap. <laughs> and we, they celebrate it. Mm. Like I say, you'd hate him. Most people hate him. I don't like him. But if they make a sixth one, mate, I'm probably going to watch it. It's just the whole like, yeah, Rise of the Foot Soldiers, yeah. Marbella, or whatever it is. Oh, that, that's it. That's terrible. literally, it's like Foot Soldier Marbella 4. It's like, how did we get here? Mm. Weakest one's the first one because it's actually got a storyline. <laughs> I want to bring Ray Winston into it. There you, that's next level. See, there's Vinnie six, Jones' mate. boss. I'm just saying that everyone talks about the F Fast and the Furious franchise. Britain's got one. Get behind the foot soldier, whatever it is. 
There you go. Wow. Um, that TV series with Bill Pullman is The Sinner. Okay. And I did, I've just finished season four of that this week. And it, it, was, it was all right. You are, you are watching for Bill Pullman, you is, know. Do you think Hollywood was too unkind to him? Because I, I don't, he's not, I fell in love with him during Sleep Since, not Sleep Since, yeah, while he was sleeping. While he was sleeping, yeah. He's the president that I want in Independence Day. Mm. Uh, what happened? Really, I don't, the problem is I can't name many more of his other films. Mm, <laughs> I probably the, know them, but I just forgot yeah. that he's in them. The one with the crocodile? What? There's one with a giant crocodile. Lake Placid? Lake Placid. It's only like 74 minutes long, that film. That's God tier. <laughs> 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 it's a crap film and it's short. That's exactly <laughs> what you want. Yeah, I, I, remember, I still get that now when people are like, what's what's the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre like? I'm like, 80 minutes. <laughs> Great. Like, like, it doesn't anything matter. else? No, no, no. That's all. That's all. That's the only positive you're getting. Yeah, yeah. I like Bill Pullman, but criminally underused. Good in this. Different Harry Ambrose, the detective. Different kind of detective. Mm. You know, got a kink side to him. Likes a bit of uh, BDSM. Likes a bit of torture. Is he the sinner? Ooh. Well, that, well, that's it. That's it, James. There's the parallel, isn't it? Ooh. Is it? Is he? Uh, is he trying to solve crimes or is he trying to solve himself? It's Ooh. all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the, the fourth season was all right. I tell you what, I have started though. Uh, Ozark. Oh, mate. I've heard that's, that's brutal at parts. It is like really good. Like, and I know I'm late to the conversation, but I'm doing my Game of Thrones thing where I know that it's ending in April. So I'm like, right, I'll just watch them now then. Fair enough. That's Why fair wait enough. like four years to watch these play out and then be, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to the finishing line with everyone else by starting now. I did start a few years back and the first episode is was pretty like, fucking hell, that's, this is a bit full on. Like, I'll, mm. I'll maybe watch this when I can give it the attention. So now I am watching it. And it is really, really good. Series one, 10 episodes, um, suspenseful, good storyline, interesting. I know nothing about, James, believe this or not. Yeah. I know nothing about money laundering. Really? So it's been educational, how it all works. <laughs> now you put, now you clued in. All I'm saying is give me 50 and I'll wash it for you, mate. I'll clean that dirty money. How much do I get back? Oh, <laughs> was, good what's question. The, what's the vig? <laughs> is that a thing? But it's, it is really good. Like the first episode, like the, the guy that, so he's a, he's a financial planner, investor, uh, angel investor, if you will. Uh, really good with numbers, really good with the spreadsheets. He, uh, on the side, he's washing money for the second largest drug cartel out of Mexico. Mm. Um, and this is in Chicago. The, someone is skimming off the top. It kind of unravels the 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 group. Um, Jason Bateman's character Marty, to save his skin, says that he's got this plan, which is to move the whole operation to the Ozarks, which um, he believes, or at the time, he sells it as a place where wealthy people are, as like summer houses, holiday homes, like lakes, mm. that kind of people go for the summer, that kind of. And there is a bit of that, but when he gets there, it, it, it's very much not that. There's also <laughs> the redneck side of it, and the fact that it's a dying town and he's got this 8 million he needs to wash in, in something like Which three months. It's obviously really hard to do because you need to, you get very suspicious, I imagine, is there. Yeah, yeah. Why well, IRS is all over him. So ah. it's it's one of those where like, you know, he has to buy a strip bar in a funeral home just to start using the money to get it into the system to then clean it. And, but all the while the FBI are kind of tailing him. The, the, it starts with the FBI kind of almost getting him anyway, and, and but they need the leverage to pull him in to get him to grasp on the cartel. Yes, so they want to switch him. What's really good about this as well is I've never seen it. I've always wanted to, but it always looks, you know, that the, the 30 second clip you get when you hover mm. over it. It's always so horrible. It, it's intense. <laughs> so bleak yeah, and horrible. It's, it's done that thing like, uh, you know, like the movie Payback where it's all set with a blue tone. Yeah. So I imagine the Ozarks is a nice sunny, like, you know, kind of, Missouri kind of summer, but they've shot it with a filter. So everything looks cold. Everything looks mm. like dull and drab. There's, 
one amazing character in it. I need to find the actress's name, but this this uh, character called Ruth, who is ruthless. Uh-huh. It, she's just brilliant. Like such an original character. The nearest thing to this to me is Breaking Bad. Because Breaking Bad, the violence in Breaking Bad came like sporadically but when it came it landed it was really gruesome you yeah. figure like Gus's uh, how Gus it was, goes it's more impactful as well because yeah. if you saw it like every episode you'd be like oh, come numb to it yeah, exactly. you know so when certain characters do die off or certain people do get shot or the box cutter episode which I remember made me feel right queasy mm. this is the same there's moments of violence that are real like oh my that's, t- that's nasty like real real bad but in between that it's all about the suspense Jason Bateman is absolute next level in this show He's one of those weird actors that, well, not weird. There's, a, there's actors that you grow up with and you, like, he got labelled, he's a comedic guy. Mm. When in reality, he's actually more, his, his drama skills are actually probably better than his comedian skills because he's better actor than you give him credit for because you, like Jim Carrey, when he did uh, those two films in particular, and The Truman Show, where he's less comedic and more drama and he shows he can do it, but mm. he always gets pigeonholed back into the comedy. Well, I think because Arrested Development is such a big hit for Bateman, yeah. and it's probably the thing that people know. No, that's what from. I mean. So everyone's like, "You're yeah. a comedy actor," when he isn't just a comedy actor. But his um, his his deadpan comedy as well. I really love. I really love his, <laughs> his witness in this. He has to. He it's such a hard character to play because he needs to play the like sensible, grounded uh, business investor who's good with money and good with spreadsheets. Um, but he's also not a pushover. So you know, when the scenes when the cartel come to him and threaten him. You know, he can't be weak. He can't be seen to like, you know, grovel or, or anything like that. It's like he w- walks this fine line, you know, of like having to step up and, and you know, shoot down the, you know, the, the the cartel that are like basically making these ridiculous demands on him and saying horrible things like, I'll kill your family if you don't do X, Y, and Z. And he has to be like, no, he won't. No, and I'll tell you why. And he's got that that Jason bloody Bateman kind of law to him that he's just so, I was watching it and I was like, this is a masterclass. And, Fucking, I don't know how he does it. He injects a little bit of comedy in a few scenes that you're like, what? How are you making this funny? This is like a dark comedy, like a, a black, real black comedy bit. That's Jason um, Bateman, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it's, Jason Bateman's got this thing and he does it quite a lot where, where someone will say something and go, the fuck you will. <laughs> and it's just the best <laughs> comeback ever. And it's like... just so they would get to fuck. Yeah. I, I love get to fuck. It's the fuck you will. But it's just, just the... Um, it's just the Bateman thing, you know, where he kind of like walks in the room and he's like, mm, okay, yeah, sure, you could do that. Mm, yeah, options, could do, but the fuck you will. <laughs> and it's like, it just, I was like, this guy's amazing. So I'm on a real Bateman high yeah, that's this good. week. Um, so I'm, I was like looking for a few things that he's been in. And do you know, like when your mind, it's like, what, what do I know most from it? It's like, please tell me crab arms from that. I was, <laughs> crab arms was nearly there from that terrible Miss McCarthy movie. And then I was like, oh yeah, he's in like three scenes in Dodgeball <laughs> at the end of it. Yes, he was. Yeah, with Chuck Norris. Yeah, he's also in Aces High for a scene with Ben Affleck. Yes. There you go. Smoking Aces. Is that what it's called? Mm. The sequel's got Vinnie Jones in it. <laughs> he saved it. What happened to the third one? Is, is there a third one? <laughs> no, there isn't. Oh, okay. oh, I get the joke. Now. I forget Chris Pine was in uh, Smoking Aces. Yes, because that's, I was for. But he's the best actor, but because he plays something so different. But mm. the only thing I really know him is is, is Captain Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like psychopath, Captain Kirk. <laughs> there you go. There's a range, mate. I like Chris Pine. I was just saying that the Ozark. So I've got Laura Linney, who I think is one of the most underrated actresses of a generation. We've talked about this before. Laura Linney is so good. She's now an adjective. 
It's like, um, yeah. oh, you know, it's like you know, the, the character needs to be funny. They need to be sad. They need to be like, you know, it needs to be Laura Linney. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Laura Linney is now something that you describe someone with. Because she's great. She does. She does the best Lady Macbeth narrative out of anyone. Oh. We talked about it with Mystic River, but in this as well, she has to be strong in scenes and she has to like prop up. She Because her she's protecting the family. Yeah. You know, so there are scenes in this where like, it's almost more sinister because you know, she's the American mum, you know, the, the soccer mum, you know, the, and so when she comes across with some of her lines and some of her actions, you're like, God, that's cold. She's great. Laura Linney is, is absolutely, you know, amazing in, in just about everything she's in. So basically what you've done there is you've convinced me. I'll be checking out Ozark. Could Check you, out Ozark. Cause I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm on series two now. No, I, it'll take it'll take me three months to watch these. I know it'll take you a week. <laughs> a week. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I am getting older. No, um, yeah, no, put it on there. Put it on there just like um, Handmaid's Tale, which I really hate you for doing that. Yeah, I watched that. Yeah, because that's the problem. I might just keep coming back and talking about Ozark next week. I'm like, fuck it, season two, right? I'll tell you, this yeah. is so good. But yeah, it is good. The only, the only, sorry, the only thing on Ozark though is, so this family arrive at the end of episode one. Like, that's the big thing. They, they, yeah. they move over to the Ozark. And by the end of the season, there's about 10 deaths. And if you were the local sheriff, you'd be like, Hook is going on. <laughs> you hooked into town a month ago. Ten bodies. You, you've rocked into town. It was warm. There's some sort of blue haze now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, go, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. You've bought you bought the strip joint and the funeral home. What's this? Which is weird. weird. <laughs> it is a bit weird. Um, well, do you know what? Next week, hopefully, I'm going to catch up on the new series of The Last Kingdom, which I love, and I'm fairly certain it's the last series. Is all of the things I love coming to an end? Quickly on the TV series. I said it before, and I'll say it again. The Expanse came to an end. If you've got Amazon Prime, there's nothing now. You, you'll get the full story. So now is your opportunity to watch. Well, granted, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to watch it because it's ended. It's not going anywhere. But do yourself a favour. Check out. Check out something different. The first series starts off with three distinct, different storylines. One of them's a murder mystery and how they interlink and the grand play of things. It, cum- it culminates in, a, in a, a really good series finale. It knows how to end. The storylines are crisp. The characters are well-written and realistic. Why is it called The Expanse again? Uh, the Expanse. So... There's three different areas. So um, basically in the future, you know, me in the future, I love space, mm. got all its albums. We... <laughs> Mate, what a 1995 joke that was. <laughs> I know, it's my constant joke. I can't believe I've never used that episode before. Um, Mars has basically seceded from Earth. So there's a Cold War type situation, but there's a third type, like these, what they call belters. Mm. The expanse is space itself. It's the expanse because it goes on forever. And it's basically these three different factions of people and how they interact. So obviously the Belters have developed their own kind of language. They've got like what you best analogy is tribal tattoos on them. They've developed their own kind of uh, language. It's like uh, like English, but like different dialects and that type of thing. It's absolutely phenomenally well thought out. So good that I started reading the books. And oh, cool. I, when a TV show does the opposite, makes me go to the books, that's a fantastic. And I love The Expanse and it's not going anywhere. You're not... There's no rush to watch it. So that's not just you. We've got listeners. If you've never checked out The Expanse, please do. How much do you, The Expanse paying for this episode? Zero. They don't have to. <laughs> Love it. Love The Expanse and um, The Last Kingdom. <laughs> any other films, any other talking points before we get on to our main event, which is Wes Anderson? Let's have him. Let's have the Anderson. All right. Going back to what we said at the top of the episode, I've always been a fan of Wes Anderson. I like the quirky charm. I like the indie filmmaker that is in him. And I like the fact that there's a style and an aesthetic set of Wes Anderson movies that is so distinct, you know, that you know you're watching a Wes Anderson movie from the moment you get go. You know, there, there are, um, he's not the only director. You know, you got your Tarantinos. 
you know, you got your your Hitchcocks, even your Polanskis. There's loads of like where you can watch it and go, oh yeah, that's dis- that is yeah. distinctive them. Spielberg, you know, whoever you're it is. You're watching them trademarks. You, you can tell a film from that director mm. without someone telling you, you go, oh, I've seen that. Oh, 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 it's Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson, it literally the opening shot, even if it's static, you're like, oh, that's a Wes Anderson movie. Or music type of that, yeah. folksy charms. Yep, you know you. what's going on from the start. I've always loved them. You've always been a bit on the fence. I, do you know what? It's something we're going to. So if I tell you my starting point, my starting point is that during the films, I've always kind of shrugged my shoulders, always been a bit... Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was good. However, blah, blah, blah. My biggest problem with him is that I can never see Wes Anderson doing another genre of film. I can never see him doing a Star Wars film, for example, or doing a, a Taika Waititi, for example. So, you know, he took his kind of like, his out of out of left field humour and applied it from something like from the Wildebeest films and then did it on a grand scale of Thor Ragnarok. He, I thought that was quite, he was different, but he still managed to do it. Wes Anderson to me is, doesn't take those risks. This was me going forward. This is mm. where I was like, oh, he doesn't do that for me. So he's not a risk taker. And what he does, he's good at. I can't say that he's not a good director. He's the best Wes Anderson there is. He, better than most. <laughs> um, but it has done something that it rubbed me a little the wrong way. Mm. That's fair enough. I mm. think you're right. I think if you want that diversity in your in your in your in your director and your actors, you know, and everyone yeah. uh, involved in film. And you're right. Wes Anderson is very much pigeonholed in a specific style, and you know, and that pigeonhole is, you know is laced with corduroy. <laughs> That's actually the best way to put it. Corduroy. I've got a few of them in here. So Wes Anderson, Wesley Wales Anderson, AKA Wes Anderson, AKA every indie film nerd's wet dream. And yes, I am that indie film nerd. He's a 52 year old Texan director, writer, and producer, and has 22 credits to his name, including Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, and his 1994 shorts, which then became a 1996 feature Bottle rocket. Straight off the bat, Wes Anderson, you would think was European. I don't know what it is about him. It's, it's, it's his style of clothes. He looks like he looks like he's desperately trying to not be confused with Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like when you see him, he's like he's wearing nearly like the same same type of coat, but not. You'd you'd, you'd like you'd think he was European, wouldn't you? Like yes. from the style of his films, everything like that. And and, and even if he was like you're like, oh, he's American. Oh, cool. Canadian. But yeah. you do you like Texas. <laughs> like, which obviously the story goes that he was a roommate with uh, Owen Wilson back at university yes. and they started making films together, including Bottle Rocket, the short, and then the main, the bank robbery movie. Um, and then they kind of followed each other's careers and supported each other through it. What I find amazing about Wes Anderson is only 10 feature films have been released so far out of his career. How long has he been going? When did we, so I know about 1998 was Rushmore, which is a film I didn't realise this week was actually a film that he did. Mm. So 94 we start with 94. the short of Bottle Rocket. So... I think he's got Quentin Tarantino. You know, he, he'll take a project that he only wants to fully own. Mm. Some directors will be more than happy to work for the producers, change everything, kind of like popcorn it out. I'm talking about Roland Emmerich. He will just be like, mm. I just want to blow shit up. It's like, well, you've got to stick Jake Gyllenhaal in it. That's great. Give me someone who want to blow shit up. Whereas, <laughs> no, really, no landmark is safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas Wes is like, I imagine he spends a lot of money on location. I imagine he he's the sort of person to me that would go on location. He's like, oh, I can see a shot here. Oh, I can see this. I like to think he's got his fingers in every single pie, sampling music, mate. Because there's no, one of his hallmarks is there is no shot that's wasted. Even the wasted shots are still mm. showing you something. Even those those setting marks, you know, framing the shot. There's always something going on. Some of it quirky. Mm. Even if it's just the buildings. Oh, and man, that's, you, that's something we're going to talk about. Oh, sorry, man. No, no, you're good. You've ticked every box I'm about to go into. I'm just brilliant. And the, the biggest example I can think of that is uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. So seeing when they're in the Alps, but every shot, 
it's like they're moving in the little corner, something's blowing, something's happening, just a bit quirky. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't, can't agree more. I mean, 10, 10 feature films, including two stop animations and a series of short films over a 28-year career. Within his 10 films, he's been nominated for seven Academy Awards. One of Wes's trademarks is his reoccurring list of actors that he employs for his movies, including Edward Norton, Jeff Goldblum, Angelica Houston, Adrian Brody, William Dafoe, Tilda Swinton, Jason Swartzen, Owen Wilson, and, of course, Bill Murray. But in 10 films, he's also worked with Ray Fiennes, Harvey Keitel, Sasha Ronan, Jude Law, George Clooney, Gene Hackman, Ben Stiller, Danny Glover, Natalie Portman, Mel Streep, Michael Gambon, and Elizabeth Moss. So you can't, I mean, if if, if Wes Anderson's world is a dollhouse, he has the best dolls to play with. <laughs> He's, you want to go around to his house. <laughs> you, you, like, he gets people in his films. He, the, the, his latest, uh, I know there's two in production at the moment, but the French Dispatch, the latest one that's come out of Disney, you can't deny that is an impressive ensemble cast. It's almost as if it's top trumps and he's got all the cards. It's always, a, I, mean, I shouldn't, but it's mm. like, old Roland, because why not? He's the measuring stick. He pulls out <laughs> Patrick Wilson. Well, you know, he's got these keepers, like you say, he's got these old ones, but then he'll do something with uh, Timothy Chalamet. Mm. He'll do something with a hot actor that he was just like, I'm going to make you great. Watch this. And I, I think there's a lot of people out there gunning to be in a Wes Anderson movie. I can see that. Well, are you adding it to the badge level? You know, do a Western, do a Wes Anderson. Do a Wes Anderson because you're going to go in, you're going to have fun. It's going to be different on your CV. It's going <laughs> to be filmography. Meet, you're going to meet Bill Murray. You're going to meet Bill Murray. Point, he's <laughs> yeah. going to be there. Yeah, why would you not want to work with Bill Murray? So of course you're going to sign up to a Wes Anderson movie. Um, but yeah, and, and many people will go on to win awards from working in Wes Anderson's films as well. Most noticeably, probably Ray Fiennes for his performance in Grand Budapest Hotel. Snubbed an Oscar, I'll have you know, but certainly won the BAFTA. It was a big year, though. That was a year. That was, I believe that was the first year you and I watched every film. Mm. And that was, that was a hard category. It, it was though, a yeah. harsh year. Yeah. Uh, that was, what, 2014. So, indie, boutique, rustic, quirky, eccentric, and utterly unique filmmaking at its finest. It's retro, it's whimsy, it's hipster filmmaking. That splits audiences. What Tim Burton is to Halloween costumes, Wes Anderson is to corduroy curtains. There you go. There you go. There's going to be a few corduroy puns <laughs> in there for right. Films often focus on young adults and flawed, selfish misfits. Children act like adults and adults act like children in an idiosyncratic way. That's a big thing. The directors that I would compare Wes Anderson to is, of course, the Coen brothers in a sense of dry humour, um, complex storylines with moving parts and, and different st- uh, storylines all mixing in together. Yeah. Um, but that idea again about people, certain characters acting just a little bit satire, a little, no, maybe not satire, but a little bit, a little bit too unrealistic yeah. to believe that they, they actually walk around in society. So just a little off or yeah. just like the bit of an outsider complex, but at the same time accepted. Yeah. Set designs and costumes decorate Wes Anderson's storybook worlds whilst colours um, and palette established tone. The green and yellow of Moonrise Kingdom, the purples and soft pinks of Grand Budapest and the orange and brown of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Films focus on loneliness, being an outsider, not fitting in with the world around you or even your family. Aww. Um, if his world was a food, it would be a pastel birthday cake, party hats would be mandatory and the entertainment would be finger puppets. Oh, I guess. Yes. Or antique dolls. <laughs> You're, you're not allowed to touch. <laughs> uh, innocence, family, and happiness are soft colours, whilst industrial greys, drab browns, and black demonstrate villains' authority and uniform structure. Once you've got your cast, your colour, your melancholy story, put everything together in central frame, James. That's very important yes, for a Wes movie. We could probably talk about it for the whole episode. Everything has to be dead centre. Everything has to be symmetrical. If your character moves, move the camera with them just laterally. I quite like that, though. Mm. There's, there's a... 
there's a certain, <laughs> I don't know, you know, humans crave order. <laughs> It's like if if they were doing that, and then it was and something went the other way, I would freak me out. Yeah, <laughs> I genuinely black. What's going on? You, you never like if a Wes Anderson film started with like a bird's eye kind of oversweeping shot, you'd be like, "What is this shit?" You know, like, like the, the beginning of The Shining, where you kind of you are the ghostly spirit following the car on the way to the hotel. Fairly certain it's one of the signs of the apocalypse. Is like you know it's the final sign. Final sign. It's it's, it's you know locusts, and then it's Wes Anderson shooting in a, in a weird way. But there is a there is a, um, a theatrics to it, very much like theatre, where they do that. It enables them, in a Wes Anderson tone, to be able to do things like change a backdrop when someone's walking left to right, you know, or, or um, insert the character because they're stood statically waiting for your main central character to join them centre frame. Oh, I thought of that. There is something about it that is very much um, storybook esque. Keep hmm. your characters, keep you what you, you know the main uh, point in the centre of the frame, so your eyes there. But Wes Anderson will decorate the outside of that frame with little Easter eggs and little things that you're supposed to pick up. Um, although sets may be full of colour and quirk, Anderson's shooting is very simple. Kids' storyline—sorry, uh, yeah, kids' uh, storybook coming to life—and um, some could see that as all style, no substance. I think one of the critiques, that, I suppose, the Anderson deniers, those that haven't opened up their hearts to Wes Anderson, <laughs> is because again, it, it could be seen as quite simplistic uh, filmmaking. But what's wrong with that? Why does everything have to be mm. so fucking artistic and over the... So the only example I can think of, bear with me, it's a complex one, mm. the film Hellraiser, oh, because yeah. it's a bit different and it was a bit artistic. People, there were these people who like really, like, it was like, oh my God, it's an art piece. It's technically art. It's like, no, it's a fucking film. Mm. It, it, just like this, just because it's simple doesn't take away some of the best things you can do are simple. You know, not everything has to be complex or fucking take it as face value. And what what I love about this is I used to be one of those tonight. That's exactly mm. what I say. He's like, there's no chances. He doesn't take a chance. But at the same time, you know, he, what he's done is he's perfected his art because no one take a film like The Fantastic mm. Mr. Fox, someone else do something with it. You, you can't really because he's kind of come up with a definitive version. I think that is true. The definitive version is true. I, like now, that is The Fantastic Mr. Fox, exactly. is it? No one's going to remake that anytime soon. Live action, animation, whatever. Because it, it, it it's just, it's defining, isn't it? That we've got it. It's fine. It's perfect. Yes. Yeah, it? move on. Um, I think yeah. you're right. I think the, uh, Wes Anderson can then play and, and um, with that. There are certain, if you look at um, Life Aquatic, you look at Grand Budapest, you look at French Dispatch, there are scenes where, um, you know, the, the character's talking and it's almost like the background lifts as if it's on a as, as if it's on a um a sheet yeah. revealing the next set that the character then seamlessly just walks into or a building front will collapse so you can see every room in the house and people working away in those different rooms we've seen fantastic mr fox also Studio Binder described Anderson as a direct director, maybe the most direct director in modern cinema. When Anderson guides viewers to exactly what he wants you to see, like when a set moves or a character or a building fall apart so you can see every single room. For me, you don't have to like Wes Anderson to appreciate the way he moves a scene, composes shots or directs actors. I think that's got to be a point. Like surely even the most biggest deniers would be like, Oh, it's still good. It's not my cup of tea, but yeah. it's still good. You, you, you game got to respect game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quality, not quantity. Filmography is likely uh, because he builds each film from absolute scratch. He's uh, not a director for hire, like you see in the Marvel universe. He writes his own stories, designs costumes, designs sets, and in fact, he builds his own little worlds from absolute start. So, if you look at his filmography, there are you know 
two, three years between each piece. I like to think that, that, that he needs to reset. He's done a film, he resets, and then basically the idea forms again. Mm. Maybe he's just had an idea, but he kind of locks it away. He's like, no, I've got to do Rushmore, for example. He's like, and then he has the idea for Grand Budapest Hotel, but he needs to cook, mate. You know, the ideas need to percolate. He, he doesn't think, want to rush. He's thinking, who am I going to cast Bill Murray as in this yeah, film? Exactly. <laughs> Like the Coen brothers in Tarantino, Anderson uses deadpan humour with a lot of his characters. Alongside with their costumes, their quirky names, characters are not realistic. Often they speak in monotone voices while supporting casts. Wait for cues to respond and trade off in dialogue. To some, this can be a turnoff as um, we don't necessarily root for the lead. It's very hard to get emotionally invested in your character if they are deadpan, monotone, and a lot of the time expressionless. If you look at someone like uh, Ray Fiennes in, um, and Edward Norton in Grand Budapest Hotel, um, there are scenes of, you know, being, uh, you, you know, accused of murder and the face never changes. It's just like, oh, okay. And, and then he runs off <laughs> acting like a child. Um, but again, so, so I think some audiences may struggle to then attach and you could possibly leave the film feeling empty, feeling like, well, what was the point of that? What was the message? What was the greater meaning? But Wes Anderson movies are kind of, for me, like a museum. You go to watch, spectate, you know, and, and take it in. I'm not learning anything from, I'm not going to go away and be like, oh shit, I really need to, you know, get a bicycle and, and go around a French village, you know, taking photos of people randomly. <laughs> so is this, so the way you talk, you, you're a very passionate man about Wes Anderson. You always have been, you've always been a fan, even in his earlier days before he was the Wes Anderson. It's his name, a name that gets you into the cinema. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. if the French, the French Dispatch was in the big screen, you, you, I know it didn't. It came on for like one day in Lincoln. I know that. But yeah, because it was during, it, pandemic, during the pandemic. Yeah, so that one gets a pass. But all these other films you've seen, Wes Anderson, do you, do you just you just like know I'm there? Yeah, I'm going I, to be yeah, there. I, they're, they're on my radar. So even the ones that are like Astro City, which is I think finished um, and going into production now, you know, I, they they're always in the back of my mind. It's like, oh, cool. Next year we get that new release. That's a big one to me. I think the final point before we kind of go into our top three and maybe look at some of the films, uh, you know, around which are maybe some of the best in, in a small but but quality uh, filmography is going back to that humour thing, that Coen Brothers a sim similarity with that deadpan humour and, and you used a director like Taika Waititi as an example earlier, that Taika Waititi is someone who um, characters break tension with lighthearted relief by making a joke at the situation. Whereas in a Wes Anderson movie, even in the most surreal uh, environment or situation, the characters are still, you know, deadpan and serious. They are not aware of the situation that they're in, which I yeah. think adds to a, a, a real unique type of comedy. Um, Bill Murray fucking nails that in like, I mean, that is Bill Murray anyway. That Bill Murray has been doing that way before he started collaborating <laughs> with, with Wade Anderson. But you can't help but look at a lot of the actors that pull into this. You know, I imagine what his Anderson's uh, directing notes are, don't do a lot of facial expressions, speak monotonally. And, you know, even if the world is on fire and the set is burning around you, don't flinch, don't act like you're aware of, you know, the, the situation that you're in. And it, and I love that kind of comedy. It's quite a British style of comedy. Yeah, I'd say that. Which again, falls back to that European link that you'd think that Wes Anderson has grown up watching a lot of kind of British or, or European comedy. There are films that genuinely, when I watch them, I think they must be British, that mm. he's done, like without knowing that he was the actor. The, the biggest example being the Fantastic Mr. Fox. When I watched that, I was like, this is such a British, I know George mm. He's doing the voice and everything, but everything's so British about that film. Yeah. It just makes me, you know, even even the idea of a fox being a problem. Mm. Uh, you know, you, I imagine you don't get that in like the Ozarks, for example. You do get that in Lincolnshire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what, so what's that scene with Jason Schwartzman? Where he's like, um, 
He goes, oh, it's a suicide note. That sounds terrible. Of course it is. It's about suicide. <laughs> it just, it's just, they don't, they're not in on the joke. And that's yeah. what I really, really like about, um, you know, a lot of Wes Anderson's movies. So saying all of that, setting the scene in the wonderful Wes Anderson, let's then look at some of those 10 movies that we could pick if we were to look at our top one. I think you're already edging towards Fantastic Mr. Fox as your favourite. Is the stop motion uh, animation with um, fingerprints all over it? I love the rustling nature of it. You, you love it. You love a good. You, your stop animation is perfect, and it does suit his style. Mm. Bearing in mind the director of someone like Crafts, every scene is painstakingly crafted in his head. It's weirdly, the idea of doing stop motion—they just attract to each other because he can control literally every mm. movement, and everything can be to his plan. Why? Which is why you could probably say he's done it twice because he also did it with Isle of Dogs. So yeah, he's got. He's got history. I, I just think, and I don't know Wes Anderson, but you can tell a lot through his movies. And you can tell that he's got this kind of appreciation for different art styles mm. and different ways of telling a story, even with the, so you, when he explains something, when you were talking about that, you know, how everything, you know, the background changes, it will slip up and everything. And you'll be in a different scene, like effortlessly. It reminds me of those old kind of like Victorian shows that used to have like like puppet shows, you know, mm. Punch and Judy, when the slide would come up at the back. And it's got this quality of every film's actually an homage to another form of storytelling, which I really do like. Also, um, but fantastic Mr. Fox is joint. He's on my list, but joint with something. Because I, I have a horrible history with one of the films. Oh. He's also doing The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which is a Roald Dahl uh, adaptation. So that, 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 that comes out in 2022. Uh, sorry, back end of this year. So um, I don't know if that's going to stop animation, but I think Benedict Cumberbatch is in that. That's such a, he's such a Wes Anderson actor. <laughs> <laughs> Who's not been in a Wes Anderson film. But um, yeah, so um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I look, I, and you're right, Roald Dahl translates so well into a... Um, a deadpan situation yeah. where you can have a lot of creativity. You've got but, a decent framework with the Fantastic Mr. Fox. But what he does is, to me, is actually he gets he gets the most out of George Clooney, despite the fact that George Clooney, who voices the Fantastic Mr. Fox, is very one monotonal throughout that. He's just like, he's just an adventurer, kind of a dickhead. Mm. And it's weird because it's kind of a different story if you will but i like i like i like the whole thing about fantastic music fox is like i've had enough like hunting chickens that's what i mean like, i want to yeah. be i want to be a writer like, <laughs> just like it's just so and you've got that sophistication you know in like they kind of getting up in the morning put his tie on he you know and then he sits down to breakfast and he's very much still a fox it's like <laughs> just like you know and isle of dogs is really good for that as well where um kind of the scraps are smoke and 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 just every now and again you see a paw stick out of it so you don't necessarily see the violence of the dogs yeah. fighting you just see the kind of very what would be cartoonish looney tunes style kind of um which combustion was, of characters which is an amazing what they do that is always fun mm. because that was actually fun you were like oh it's a fight and i'm not seeing two animals chew each other to death which is good yeah well i, I do like that bit as well with the two rival gangs in that um square off over the the fresh garbage and they're like wait shouldn't we just decide like should we just uh, see what we're fighting about first and see if it's actually worth it? And then they cut open the bag. It's like uh, maggot infested spread. It's like, yeah, definitely. And then they just start fighting. But again, like that, that to me, the voice, when any actor that lends their voice to it, Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum, those characters are great. Brian Cranston appears in that movie as the lead, which you're like, wow, that's again, another person in the, um, the toy box that Wes Anderson's able to play with. Scott Lee Hansen in that movie as well. I, I prefer Isle of Dogs to... No, I don't. I prefer Fantastic Mr. Fox to Isle of Dogs, but Isle of Dogs is still very good. 
And another trait that I think Coen Brothers, Tarantino, Wes Anderson, which is weird to link them all together, but another thing that they do really well is halfway through a movie, they are not afraid to take you out of the storyline for a minute to show you a scene that you, you think that could have been on the cutting room floor. Yeah. You know, and um, Isle of Dogs has got that sushi scene where you see uh, a fish being like gutted and made into sushi. Really doesn't need to be in there, particularly the level of detail that that stop animation goes into. But it is. But it's in there. And you're like, <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that's artistic and attention to detail. Um, Can you imagine telling the animators though? It's like, I want this. And it's like, why? Mm. It's just like, you'll see. And also, Wes Anderson's not, for, uh, not afraid for fourth wall breaks, using mixes of... Um, you know, written text on screen as well, breaking movies down into prologues, into chapters, into again, very much like a storybook. So Fantastic Mr. Fox is a contender. Is a big contender. What about what I think is probably the big one is Grand Budapest Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel is on my list and is a fantastic celebration of Gustav. Oh man. The concierge of the Grand Budapest Hotel and his adventures of after being his um let's just say he's got dirty morals when it comes to some of the older clientele. Mm. Um, but it's actually a story about his uh, his new high, his busboy. And it's a phenomenal story about an ongoing war. This is when the this is when it this is when not having a time period suits it. Mm. So it could be it's obviously not modern times because it, the story's told in flashbacks, but at any point they could the the war could be the Nazis, could be anyone, could be fictional, it, it could be anything. Mm. Anything could happen. And I think this is his best use of secondary characters. Harvey Keitel showing up as this bold criminal, like Ludwig. Ludwig. You've got William Defoe in, in back on form. William Defoe, and he barely mm. does anything. William Defoe has that um, that Hitchcockian feel to the whole thing, particularly he's, his chase sequence with Jeff Goldblum. Yes, is maybe like he's it, it's so it's got that kind of Hitchcock feel to it, and even the use of like green screen, uh, green screen in the skiing section in that as well. Um, William Defoe is great, sinister. I'm Adrian Brody. I was going to say Adrian Brody's the great foil for Ralph Fiennes' character, like this ultimate moody, you know, entitled person to someone who's kind of like built their way up through this. It is a cracking film that I saw around your house once, and mm. I genuinely, I'm going to admit it, I did fall in love with that. That became the exception. Oh, I don't like Wes Anderson, but I do like the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think it's the one that chips away at even the coldest heart. I it think does. That, that movie because because you've got you've got what a cast. I mean, Jude Law's great in it. Harvey Keitel, you've already mentioned. Ray Fiennes is he, that to me. Ray Fiennes is yes, we'll always remember Ray Fiennes as he shall not be named or Schindler's List, you know, whatever you know, in Bruges, the nasties. But he has a, such a charm as Gustav in this movie. He does. He's, that he's brilliant. He's really good. I also like um, F. Maury Abraham framing yeah. the story, the narrator. But this is the one I always forget that Sasha Rowan's in. Sasha Rowan, this, this is the first, this, first this, movie that I saw her in. This yeah. is the one I genuinely forget. I'm like, oh, Sasha Rowan's in this. Yeah, Tilda Swinton, obviously. Tom Wilkinson's in it. Um, Owen Wilson, of course. Wait, wait, what's... Uh... You haven't said his name. Was Bill Murray? Oh, Bill Murray's in it. Oh, yeah, there you go, that's yeah, right. Bill Murray's in it. I'd like to point out that's one of the funniest scenes. Is that so the, the the kind of joke is that there's a secret network of concierge that help each other, and that scene where they're just ringing around, but he's fucking brilliant. Yeah, and all it is is people ringing up the phone, and you as an audience member going, oh, "Who is it going to go to next?" Mm. And then Edward Norton, like this really kind, like this kind person, kind of out of his depth, not as evil as the evil people he works with. Everyone's brilliant in this. There's mm. layers to this story. It's a great, weirdly. You know, he frames these shots. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. It tells a really good narrative. Yeah. And the character has a code. It's like, you know, he accepts the world he lives in unless you're rude. Rude is like Gustav's like, oh, we won't be rude. Yeah. In that like famous scene. And 
the, there's that scene where he just breaks, which is actually brilliant. Just, I just fucking, what a great, great film. Mm. I love it. And Edward Norton, I think it's great in his heckles as the policeman in it. That scene where he goes to arrest um, Ray Fiennes is utterly brilliant. Like, yeah. uh, oh, she's been murdered and you think it's me. Run. <laughs> just like jogs <laughs> off. Rages. That to me was like the best comedy. And I just thought it was so good. I think it's a real home run. He has a way of making even actors that I'm, not always favourable towards lovable and enjoy you know like I always say this about towing the line with like Colin Farrell I'm saying if Colin Farrell was in a Wes Anderson movie I'd be like brilliant yeah do you know what I mean and I like as well that certain people aren't in it you know when you hear the castings that previously like people have auditioned for like your Will Farrells and stuff and you're like actually you know the hand-picked selection you know that, that he creates with um you know, with his movies the and the fact that there's a trust there and people showing up really just to do a scene, a cameo, yeah. um, deliver one line. Um, Tilda Swinton, this, you know, again, is, is, is awesome in anything, but her powers are like doubled when you put her in a movie, um, you know, directed by Wes Anderson. So I think Grand Budapest is a contender. contender. And I love as well the parallels between the hotel at the beginning of the movie when the writer joins uh, F. Murray Mar- Abraham's character who's the older version of the, the previous busboy um, to tell the story of its heyday. And when you look at it then, it's like, it's, it's not run down, but it is very much The Shining. You know, yes. it's like the can, the massive um, dining hall with a, with the tables set out, you know, kind of like sparsely or what have you. And it's, then, a, it's a mausoleum, isn't it, to the past? Yeah. yeah. And then when you go back and you see the lavish colours and the, you know, the, just the, it booming and bustling, you know, the, the energy in that building. Um, I love Grand Budapest. I think that's a contender. It's a definite contender. It's got to be. What about then, um, I, I'd like to talk about Moonrise Kingdom. So do you remember we did an episode, listeners, you may listen back, back in the, the heyday of Sorry in My Sleep when there's three of us and we all challenged each other to watch. Uh, you challenged me to watch this film and this story of a boy set out for adventure People trying to find him, the clueless scout leader <laughs> sent out to find him. I've got to say this, and I'm not saying this is I'm not saying this is the best Bad Anderson film, but this is one of the best performances from Edward Norton. Yeah, Edward Norton's fucking next level. Does kind he of naturally falls into adult scout leader. Yeah, there's something about that uniform just fits him. What's really funny is that I actually think Edward Norton, and maybe this is a future episode. Edward Norton genuinely is someone I I, I can't place. Either one of the greatest actors of his generation because he can effortlessly play kind of anything. Mm. Back when he started, like I always go with the primal, you know, the legal one where he's uh, he's accused of a murder. Primal, yeah, that's yeah. right. And and he's there's that scene at the end, which no spoilers because it's something you should really experience with Richard Gere. And you're like, fuck me, despite mm. the fact it's actually really obvious. I didn't see it well, Norton, Norton was you got to admit Norton was coming up the ranks at, uh, riding the coattails of De Niro uh, in that oh, you know, there, were, there were movies that they starred in obviously but it was like Edward Norton after Fight Club was like this This is the guy he's going to be you know you've got Brando you've got De Niro you know now it's very much kind of heading towards Leonardo DiCaprio but Norton was on that he was that run up, and and you know you he think he just got blacklisted, didn't he? For Hollywood, just apparently he's a bit of a perfectionist, but he says the wrong thing at times. And he, and that was apparently enough to kind of not kill his career, but not be able to reach the heights. The Hulk was the been. obviously what we're talking about there, yeah, aren't we? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. The big green elephant in the room was the movie The Hulk, <laughs> where, where in his words, sue me for wanting to try and make it better. But I, I mean that I also. Um, Fucking Marvel needed to get rid of someone early on to be yeah. like you, you know, you tow a Marvel line, and if you don't, even Edward Norton's out. And and Marvel, I think, had to use that power play because 
you now have a formula. You can't break it. You yeah. can bring in someone and do a horror, you know, thriller, comedy, Marvel movie. You can now, it's established, but at yeah. the time you need to get but there. But there is, I remember listening to a podcast with one of the writers and he was saying that he was brought into, he, he was really secretive. He was like, I can't talk about what I wrote on, but I work for Marvel. And he was saying like, you kind of, when you turn up, there's all the different rooms, like the Black Panther room and the Iron Man room and you sit in there and you do your bits and stuff. But they have, they have a formula that, that they know of. It's like, right, you know, X amount of minutes, you need to do this. Yeah. By the end of this act, you need to have done that. You need to reference this because it's coming up in yeah. later episodes. And they're like, and why, why ever break it? If it brings in, you know, films that are now, uh, films reaching a billion is becoming so, you know, more and more frequent now. Why would you, why would you deviate from a master plan that's working? I'm just saying quickly off topic, although we did slightly go off topic anyway. Have you heard um, Sony already talks about rebooting Uncharted? Because obviously they don't want to lose the rights, which means they'll have to make another film within five years, is it? Otherwise, yeah. they'll lose it. So they're already thinking about rebooting the whole thing, maybe going with what everyone would have told them. Nathan Filler. Nathan Filler. <sighs> but, but then this is the internet. But they, but basically, Uncharted, no one's going to go see. <laughs> so, the problem is, Uncharted, Un, Uncharted with Nathan Filler has to work because it, it, like, it's, it can't be snakes on a plane where everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I'll go watch it. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> like, um, anyway, going back to this film, can I just say this has got one of the best comedy scenes in. I think, I remember when I first saw this, I genuinely don't. It's one of those moments in films, and I'm putting this up there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ramble a bit here. The coffee, uh, the scene in the Big Lebowski where he gets a coffee cup yeah. thrown in his head. What I'm talking about is just this, this one moment of pure comedy gold, which isn't that funny when you say it out loud. Like me telling you, he gets a cup thrown in his face, isn't that funny? Mm. When you watch it, it's fucking hilarious. The scene where the kid comes out of the tent and everyone's fucking there makes me fucking piss myself. <laughs> and I, it's one of those things. Is like you have to experience because it's not really that funny mm. me saying it. But I remember when I saw that. <laughs> So <laughs> even thinking about it, I'm just like, that's got me. There's also a scene where Bill Murray takes his shoe off to throw at Edward yes. Norton on the dot, and that bit creases me up. Like that is so, that's brilliantly acted. I've... You just you, you get the you get the shot of Bill Murray taking his shoe off, stumbling, getting his shoe off, and throws it, and then it turns 180, and then you just see the shoe hit Edward Norton. It's like it's just so good. But um, he's a great film. If you talk about Moonrise Kingdom. And, you know, we've gone through Wes Anderson's traits and how he directs, you know, expressionless, monotonal. So monotonal. That kid as well. Wow. Well, yeah. Step aside, because Bruce Willis has got that nailed. Oh, just, it's really weird that we say Bruce Willis can't emote. <laughs> and there's an actor out there, that's there's a director out there that's got like the perfect role for him because Bruce Willis could do everything in this film. Yeah. He's, he's basically Wes Anderson's most perfect actor. He's like, I don't want you to emote. And he's like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> he's like Bruce I don't want you to what it doesn't matter actually Bruce just just, just, just open uh, eat this cheese triangle <laughs> but of course talking about the great uh, you know cast that he's had to play with we didn't talk about Francis McDormand who's in this movie and he's yeah. in French Dispatch as well but again so looking at the calibre of people that you get to work with on these films is really quite astounding obviously Jason Schwartzman's in this one um, it, it's it's just brilliant I, it's that idea as well about the Young lovers against the children being way more grown up than than what they are. The adults acting like children. So that scene in particular when um, Bruce Willis is between uh, you know Bill Murray and Edward Norton as they as they're kicking off, looking for um, the young lovers that have ran away, uh, which is Sam and Susie. Only and the thing about that is, love about this as well as the layers is that when they go over to the the like the master scout group and Harvey Cartel is the leader and you're like oh this is so good this is so funny. I think Moonrise Kingdom loses it a little bit at the end maybe the last couple of scenes, it's a bit, I, I, I did find myself thinking, oh, okay, this is probably five, 10 minutes longer than it needs to be. But I did love the whole thing. The aesthetics of Moonrise Kingdom from the poster to 
how it, it plays so out. It's so tranquil as well, the, the little island that they're on. It is really yeah. nice. And I love the narration and the build-up at the beginning. It sets your world up nicely. You know what's happening. And again, could be set between a period of like 30 years. Mm. It's definitely on my list. You just you, you all all his big hitters. Well, like I say, there is a there is a half. There's a film in there, mate, that I both love and hate. Which we could be going to next. Which is um, if we were to pull up the train in 2007 with the Darjeeling Express, with three brothers. Um, a year after their father's funeral, three brothers travel across India by train in an attempt to bond with each other. This is Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, um, and Jason Schwartzman in the lead roles for this movie. Uh, Owen Wilson bandaged up, which is quite brave for an actor to take on. I mean, he's going to take it on because it's Wes Anderson. When I talk about it, he was probably the biggest actor in this. You know, that was, I know Natalie Portman and people are in it, but this is like mm. the biggest, he, of the three, Adrian Brody wasn't that big at the time. So to bandage him up and remove him slightly from, you know. Was it, I, I haven't rewatched this one this week. Is Natalie Portman in this one or is she in the, I know she's in the short prequel that shows the breakup between her and. Oh, I've seen them both this week, so. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, she, so she's the lover that they oh, referenced okay. that has left um, Jack. Did, oh, okay. But um, yeah, I really like Judging the Express. This is, this is one of those that's beautifully coloured, like the palette of this movie. So this is the one I think he takes probably the biggest risk in. Completely removes him from what you know and puts him in like a physical location that's different. And so he does take a, not a risk, for example, because he's in safe hands, but this is a film I find it very hard to connect with because of the brothers, because of their so their relationship between the three and the deadpan, the talking, as sometimes is quite, like I get very excitable, but at the same time it's quite deadpan. So it's mm. like quick speaking, but nothing really being said. I do find it hard to really engage with this film. And this is the exact problem I have when you get into it with the Steve Suzuki one. Like the like I'd really like Bill Pullman in it. Not Bill Pullman, I've got him on the brain, sorry. Bill Murray. I really like Bill Murray in it, but his relationship with, you know, his crew. Angelica Houston in that. Yeah. yeah. To me that's that's not right. It's something because I can't connect with it as an audience member. I do find the film just lacks something to push it over the line. But that's just me. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But no, you, I, you love this one, don't you? I like Dodging the Express. It's a, it's, it's a movie that I think is, is beautifully shot. It's colourful. It's vibrant. India is such a great setting for this film to yeah. take place in. And the train as the locomotive vehicle to get him from A to B, you know, it's, it's, we're not, it's not planes, trains, and automobiles. You know, it's the train. There's something, there's something uniquely like romantic about a train and a film shot mainly on the carriages. This is what I would say the one, this is Dark Horse. I think if you, this is probably the one that you've not heard of. You've, you've heard of Grand Budapest Hotel. You've heard of the French Dispatches. You've heard of Fantastic Miss Fox. I think this is one that you see, even the name is a bit different. You're like the Darlene Express. What, what could it be? What does it mean? It's not the one I'd recommend. If someone was like, oh yeah, name of Wes Anderson, I wouldn't recommend this because this could, it's it's a slow burner. This this is maybe the slowest burner. It took me the longest to get into it, but then when I kind of settled in, um, because I, I love the train. I like the the um, I like movie movies that are about commute, travel, you know, destination. I like that kind of stuff. There's a lot of que- it drops you in with a load of questions like Owen Wilson's bandaged up at the beginning of the movie. You're like, okay, what's going on here? The three brothers as well don't gel. You know, yeah. like, like you could see maybe some of them being brothers, but like Owen Wilson, most definitely not. <laughs> you know, like it's you, you know, but I do like the bonding nature of it. Jason Schwartzman as well, which we probably should have talked more about given that this is a Wes Anderson movie. This, I think this is his best performance in a... Oh, in a Wes Anderson? In a Wes Anderson, oh, in a, yeah. Probably in a Wes Anderson. His best performance is uh, that slimy dickhead in... Uh, I didn't think I was going to speak about it. Uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Oh, yeah. I fucking love that. I love that film so much. I, I love, love that I, To be honest, any excuse to watch that film, I will watch it. 
Yeah, that's a movie that, it doesn't matter where it is in the movie, when, it's, when you flick through the challenge, you like, just oh, stay and watch it from yeah, I, just, yeah, I fucking yeah. love it. It just even like, even at the end, it's like, Scott's learned the power of self-respect. <laughs> just <laughs> everything about that film is brilliant. Edgar Wright, fucking diamond. Yeah. Edgar Wright, another, another director that you just know what you're in with. Um, I'm just conscious of time. We don't want, you know, and there are 10 movies. Let's do the, some of the early ones. Ball Rocket, I saw once and I don't really remember much of it. I can't say I've seen it. And then obviously Rushmore. Which is brilliant, by the way. He starts up, you know, the people I worked with. Rushmore for what, at the, when I saw it, I think I was too young. I didn't get it, but re-watching it. What a great story there's um, A young, like, political upstart kid, teenager, comes friends, but they fall in love with the same woman. It's actually quite a very funny it's that kind of thing that when you, it's very, it seems personal, not saying that Wes Anson's done it, but that sort of situation where you've got a mentor, mm. someone you look up to, where you both fancy like the same woman. It's actually like a really good story. I would recommend you rewatch it if you ever get a chance because it's, it's a lot better. The first time around I watched it, I, I really, really was, I really did love it. I, you know what? No, I'm going to put it. I really like Rushmore. I've decided. It's got Brian Cox in it. Yeah, come off the fence. It's a great film. It's a good I'd, film. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm back on the fence. <laughs> Rushmore's, Rushmore's a good one. I, I certainly have better memory of that than I do uh, Ball Rocket. Royal Tenenbaums. Now, I, remember, I remember when this movie came out that the poster was everywhere because I think Ben Stiller was real hot at the time. Right, so this is the film that I can't decide if I both, I, I both love this film and adore this film and also hate it because I was really young when I saw it. When I saw a cast list of, of like Bill Murray, Angelica Houston, Gene Hackman, Danny Glover, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, all of these people, to me, they were very funny at the time. They were big. Like Gwyneth Paltrow might have been like the most famous actor of them all. You know, she was everywhere. Ben Stiller was arguably the funniest man in Hollywood at the time. Mm. I loved Adam's family, so I, it was nice to see Monty Adams yeah. in the film. Uh, and Gene Hackman, in, and I've always been a big Gene Hackman fan. I know Gene Hackman lost a lot of friends in this film because apparently he's an arsehole to film with. And he, this is one of the films that led to his retirement, wasn't it? Three, this the third from ends, yeah. yeah so the, the final this, three movies. So he started to lose his interest in acting. Um, but I'm going to point this out. When I first watched it, I was expecting the comedy that Ben Stiller had been putting out. I was of an age where I didn't really understand he was experimenting with new things. So I came back to rewatch it a few years ago. Well, I didn't, it was on TV mm. and I loved it. But I can't, you know, when you see a film for the first time, you can't shake it. You know that you were wrong. You know, oh, it's funnier now, but you've still got like that taste in your mouth when you first saw it. It wasn't what you were expecting. So I both love the Royal Tenenbaums and detest it with every fiber of my being. So it, that's why it's joint third. I don't know. Is it because I, Alec Baldwin's the narrator in it? Probably. Is it because- It me. It's got the Queen, the Queen Baldwin in it. <laughs> yeah. Fire. <laughs> it's, 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 got, it's got the one that lays the eggs. <laughs> he lays the eggs. That's, <laughs> that's why we're knee deep in fucking Baldwins. <laughs> it's uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as well. He's a hit and miss with me. Yeah. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow. The, 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 the trailer as well, I thought the trailer might have been one of the crappiest trailers of all time because it made the film look boring. Ben Stiller has a weird wig on it. And then you see... Gene Hackman playing about with his kids who've got the same weird hair as him. And then there's a scene where he says something to like Gwyneth Paltrow. He says, oh, I thought you died. He's like, no, not yet. And it was like, that's what they chose to highlight in the trailer. I think the trailer was one of the worst trailers I've ever seen. Mm. But rewatch it. Just, and like I say, on a rewatch, a lot better. Now that I experience film a lot more, I understand that actors aren't, you know, you're a comedy slapstick fool now. <laughs> and it was brave to take these actors that were famous for different things and put them in together in a low key charming film. I like I like Tenenbaums. I, like, yeah, I think right. it's um, I, I like the the coming together of people under one roof. You know whether that be it's normally a Christmas film style like mm. trope. 
you know, but, um, you know, certainly meet the fuckers, those, or meet the parents, I suppose, the first one. I like that. Cheaper by the dozen, you know, <laughs> film, films, films under a roof with people tripping over each other and, yeah. um, you know, and each having their little oddities and, and cast members that the storyline might not be focusing on, but they're always in the background. They're always doing their thing that makes them unique. I really liked it. I like Ben Stiller in it as well. And it, I always was, I always found it a bit odd that Ben Stiller never really came back for any more. Like Owen Wilson does where he gets his yeah. Wes Anderson paycheck every couple of years. <laughs> You would have thought Ben Stiller would have come back for more. I don't know, but um, maybe maybe Gene Hackman scared him off. Yeah, probably. That's what the Hackman does. Hackman, glorious moustache though. The Hackman, yes. Um, and then of course, if we're going to the earlier films as well, uh, we've got to talk about the Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, Steve which is a mouthful in its own right. And uh, I, I, again, this this is one of the movies where the trailer, the poster, everything was like if you're not into indie films, I imagine this made your skin crawl a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I, I, I recall the narration at the beginning is, is, oh, I was done. I was like, I really hate this film from the outside, but it is Bill, it's Bill Murray brings you in. Yeah. And his cast, uh, not his cast, his, his crew. And the storyline as well, without going into spoilers, is is quite, quite a normal one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, you you need to know this person. You, you've never known them before. Mm. Go on an adventure with them. Um, but like as the setup, and it talks about him like through, the narration, I thought, I, not for me. I really didn't like that. A cold beginning, I thought. I, I quite like this one in the sense that um, it reminded me of, because of the because of the vessel that they're in, the yellow submarine vessel that they're mm. in, there was a part of me that reminded me so much of a lot of those TV programs and films I watched growing up about, you know, um, adventure kind of, what was that movie that we always talk about where they shrink and they go through the body? Inner space. Inner space. And there's a lot of those like... For the record, listeners, if you've got a copy of Inner Space, if we desperately want to see it, so please send it to I'm not fucking paying for it though. But it was... Oh, it's a Disney film. Right, you carry on. Could be on, could be on Disney. It is on Disney. It is. Uh, no, it's somewhere. It's on a streaming site. I have seen it on a streaming site. Right, 200 episodes. But there is space. there is something about that, that like a submarine, big open window, at the, you know, and, and finding new worlds, finding mythical creatures that I grew up on. And actually when that then appears, even in things like Phantom Menace, the first Star Wars movie, where <laughs> there's even seems that I'm like, oh, I kind of like this underwater narratives. And you are the only person that's I, ever said that. I, do you know what? I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It just tickles a, it tickles a pickle at the back of my mind mm. that makes me uh, just, I don't know, fall in love with it. There, there is something also iconic about the beady hats, the kind of orangey, ready beady hats. William Defoe in this film, yeah, you know, became one of the 50 memes that he already is from, from this film. Um, William Defoe is awesome, isn't he? Yeah. I love William Defoe. Except for when he's, when he's went on, 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 on Trier, then I'm not interested. Yeah. So. But this, this also, again, that, that eats into uh, Murray's strong hand, doesn't it? Like, you know, that series, like we're going to go, we're going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to recruit a vessel. We're going to go, we're going to kill the shark or whatever it is. I don't know how. Probably dynamite. <laughs> just like, just like, so good. Such a good movie. I think this is the one that was probably, so I would say the Dar- Darjeeling Express is the Dark Horse. This is the underrated gem. Mm. This is one that is never considered like up there, A tier. I think it's on the cusp of A tier. Kate Blanchett, welcome, take a bow. Um, other than that, like I say, because the filmography is short, um, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox talks about Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, and then of course the new movie that's on um, at the moment. You haven't seen The French Dispatch. So I've not seen that. That's the one thing I couldn't fit in this week. I'm sorry. It is, I, off the bat, it's not the 
most exciting of the Wes Anderson movies, I mm. must admit. Um, Benicio Del Toro now uh, starting to work with um, Wes Anderson in maybe the the lead role as a as this artist. I'll talk about him in a second. Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Francis McDermott, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, Owen Wilson, Bill Murray, Henry Winkler. Oh, fucking yes. Do you know what? You've just listed up some A-listers, but you've actually said a name. I genuinely am now more interested to see what happens with him. And also... Bob Balaban, who you probably don't know, no, um, but he's in every one of uh, Wes Anderson's movies, and it's one of the weird things where the only the only the only thing I can say, oh, this is what he's in. He played Phoebe's father in Friends. No, I know exactly who you mean. Weirdly, with the long hair, and he's yeah. like, and he comes to the funeral. Yeah, and wears his three D glasses. Yeah, <laughs> and he's uncredited for that. So, which I find that that's brilliant. Is that the thing that maybe people know him the most from? He's actually uncredited it, but um, yeah. French Dispatch is um, it's about a, a journalist outpost. It's about the French Dispatch, which is a distributed paper, magazine, journal um, set from uh, this small town in France where it's telling the story of the final publication. So the um, the chief editor, the chief writer, um, which was played by Bill uh, Murray, uh, passes the beginning of the movie. It says that he's, he's demised, that it kind of takes you through um, the publicate the last publication. So the film is broken down into chapters, um, you know, which are the different pages, which yeah. introduces you to a, a array array of characters who are the different journalists that write those pieces. So Owen Wilson, who's kind of like the sightseeing, uh, who kind of gives the lay of what the town is like, you know, in, in his uh, on his bicycle, and he but he kind of makes a lot of stuff up. And yeah. Bill Murray's like, you can't really put this in the paper. He's like, no. <laughs> you know, like he kind of paints a different picture to the town than what it actually is. Um, you've got Elizabeth Moss in it as one of the journalists. And the the thing is, it's it's good. I did enjoy it. The first act of it though, the first part is around Benicio Del Toro as this painter and it goes on for so long. You're like, shit, this is like nearly the whole film. And like, and it says at the beginning, you know, this it kind of comes up with a Wes Anderson quirky title card that's like, the following movie will take you through a funeral. Uh, and so you know this chapter's coming. Yeah. And the, and the 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 first one is so long. I was like, this is like the whole film at this point. Yeah. So um, part two coming. Yeah. Like, about this like Dune. <laughs> this craze. Uh, this uh, this um, this this artist who's uh, held up in a prison because he he murdered two people. Um, but he's this like amazing artist that Agent Brody, who's an inmate who's going to be released, notices his talent. And then when he's released, his uh, uncles and himself own an art gallery. So they commission work by an inmate, um, you know, but the, the work takes him years to do. And yeah. He's addicted to mouthwash and it's got, it's got all the Wes Anderson things in it. And then it goes to more like a revolution storyline. So it is it's with Tim Chalamet as a young protester, um, but Tilda Swinton uh, kind of breaking the fourth wall is again, a bit of a narrator in this movie. I, I did like it. There's a lot of, tricks in it Wes Anderson things with like black and white it, it, whole scenes in black and white until someone closes a door and it flings to colour but then the scene ends and you're like oh so we've got the colour for like the last frame um, there are this is also maybe the most Wes Anderson although he has a lot of child actors and, and or, or childlike story narratives in his films with adult themes this is maybe the most adult theme there's more swearing more nudity a um, little bit more violence than some of the other Wes Anderson films Not, I'm not saying it's a Tarantino movie mm. but certainly that I was like oh the full frontal nudity okay you know in the, like the opening scene or whatever it is and in, in the, quite a lot of swearing in it I was like this is a different Wes Anderson it definitely pushes the higher 15 bracket 
for for the film. But I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's one of them where some characters just don't get enough screen time. Tim Chalamet's in it, you know, like blinking, you miss him kind of thing. Um, Elizabeth Moss. Same is, when you've got such a big cast, though. You have to sacrifice some, don't you? Yeah, and I always want more Murray. Obviously. I always want more Murray because I'm, I'm greedy for it. Um, but Jeffrey Wright again, yes. Yeah, so so many people. That was your big it, problem it. with the Batman, wasn't it? Not a Phil Murray. <laughs> the only person I know that left at the end was just like not a Phil Murray. Murray in that. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, quirky, brilliant sets, awesome costumes, um, just really, really, really good um, yeah. film. That sorry, really, really good spectacle, but not the best Wes Anderson movie. Uh, you can't win them all. It's not in my top. He's probably not in my top five. No. What is your number three then? My number three is Mirage Kingdom. My number three is, um, I'm going to go with the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh. Your number two. My number two is, so I can jump ahead because it won't be, is Moonrise Kingdom. Mine is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh. And number one for me, Grand Bird Festival. Grand Bird Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Oh my God. It's the pink frosted icing on top of the Wes Anderson cake. It was a film I genuinely didn't think I was going to like. I've, I I think I went in there. There's, I'm a quite stubborn person. I think, I think I'm just more honest. I think most people mm. are quite stubborn, but I've never had my mind changed so quickly by film. Well, I, I think within like three minutes, I was like, oh, this is too charming. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like James Bond. I'm, it's like James Bond coming up to me. I'm already liquored up. I mean, I'm so charmed. <laughs> so it was, it was everything. It was everything. It charmed me. It charmed me into the bed. It was so nice. It's for me. It's also an, the hardest thing with an ensemble cast is getting and and cast members with um, storylines to get enough of each to make it worth the while of them all being intertwined. And Grand Budapest, I think, is a great example of a movie that all the moving parts. Everyone gets enough screen time. Yeah, I want more Ray Fiennes, but he probably does dominate it over you know, say William Defoe or certainly over Sasha Ronan, mm-hmm. but you still get enough of those other characters, not the cameos, obviously you, yeah. you build more as your own Wilson's, which are, which are cameos. Um, but in terms of the, the different narratives in it, you know, the Harvey Keitel story moments in it, the Brody, the Goldblum, all that stuff. I found I, it, it was, you know, it was a, it was a Sunday dinner of perfect proportions. Yes. There was nothing too much and overpowering of anything and they all worked together so well. And it tasted so good. It did. Grand Budapest is awesome. It's, and do you know what? This is the one of the highest compliments I can give a movie. I love it so much. I, I watch it reservingly. Yeah, I do that. I, I wouldn't put it on all the time because I don't want the magic to go. <gasps> vault. It is a vault movie. It's a vault. Yeah. It might already be in there. Since since we lost Sam, we don't really <laughs> keep attention to what's in it the vault. It was like his chief role, wasn't it? <laughs> it like, was telling role. us what was in the vault. Yeah, so, so to be honest, it's probably already in there. But if not, we've got a copy. Yeah. So we can both watch it separately. So, so the top three, it doesn't matter about your two, you, you, the order of two and three, but top ones are Grand Budapest Hotel, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and Moonrise Kingdom. They are the ones, I think. Yes. That, you know, and it's, you know, it's a short list anyway, because there's only like there's only 10, 10 that you could pick were, from. But, and this is credit, not really anything you can hate in there. No. Everything kind of delivers. But, I, and I do think as well, Wes Anderson has got better. I, there is, although there are the things that he keeps the same, you know, you're going back to the Marvel thing. If you've got a winning formula, don't rock the boat. Mm. But I think Wes Anderson, as he's developed as a filmmaker, learned additional skills, tricks, you know, and, and art, you know, from the trade. Um, I certainly think he's progressed. And French Dispatch isn't the home run that I thought it was going to be, but it, it is a visually very stunning movie. There's a really good sequence with Owen Wilson on a bike 
where you can tell the bike is on like a treadmill device and he's not cycling. But that's part of it though, isn't it? That's yeah, you, you, you're supposed to see the you're supposed to see the pulley system in Wes Anderson movies. You're supposed to see, you know, the green screen that it is clearly a green screen, you know, or a prop or, or a set or the painted backgrounds. Because I think in the Grand Budapest Hotel is like a really obvious matte painting yeah. in the background. Yeah, he's, Wes Anderson's the kind of person that has like you know a, a stuffed parrot in a scene. It's clearly not real, but you, you know, and it, it's like it's a little Easter eggy kind of nod. There was a really good Owen Wilson scene where he's on a bike, kind of talking to the camera, not looking where he's going, and the background is changing rapidly as he's taking you through this town, mm. you know, and you know, and um, cutting away to just some really random things that like gangs of youths that are beating up like elderly people for for toffees and stuff like that, and um, and all the while he's just staring at the camera, talking, you know, expressionless, kind of monotonal kind of dialogue. Um, I really like it. And then it cuts to a scene where he's in a room with Bill Murray and he's fixing his bike because he falls off it. And it's just a feast to look at. And you know, if I paused it, there'll be so much I could see. There are books, you know, at the forefront, uh, you know, with titles that I'm like, I'm certain they are references to other characters like Steve Zoo in other movies yeah. and stuff like that. So he's building his world and he's, you know, and I, and I think the other the other thing I would do, my final point about Wes Anderson is is I we keep talking about the rolled R world about that mm. Netflix creating it like give it to Wes Anderson just let Wes Anderson do the rolled R world okay because Fantastic Mr Fox is, was brilliant it was but at the same time that's the sort of world that I would like to see like anthropology different people take on different stories so you get a wider range because I so this week I found a great appreciation for Wes Anderson I don't dislike him when you say it, I'm not going to shrug my head I'm not going to say nay. Mm. I like Wes Anderson films, but unfortunately his name won't get me into the cinema still because, it, and it is a bit hypocritical. I really like his films. And when a film comes out, I will go to, I will watch it, but I won't go seek that film. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because to me, he just, I don't know. It's, still, it's like the Royal Tonnenbaum's fiasco again. It's like, I've been hurt, mm. but, but, but I watched it too young. You came too young for me, Wes Anderson. Why don't you wait till I'd matured a little before you released that film? Or, film is, or, me. or is it just that you were mature? It's <laughs> really patronizing, wouldn't it? If you said, oh yeah, it's for a mature audience, it's for a sophisticated, uh, you know, clientele. But I, I, yeah, I've, I mean, I'm the same. I've watched movies before way too young to appreciate, mm -hmm. not paid attention, not looked into like the, the, you know, what the film is actually saying. Go back to it years later and you're like, shit, how did I miss that? That yeah. is a brilliant film. Um, yeah, I, I really like Wes Anderson. I will continue to watch movies as they come out in the cinema. That's our show for this week. So, um, thank you for listening with your ear holes. <laughs> let us know what your top uh, Wes Anderson pick is. If we're wrong, tell us. If we're right, let us know. Thank us. <laughs> thank us for... No, no, it's a public service show. We, no, okay. we don't need to be thanked, you know. Um, although, what we're really interested in to know is if you've got any ideas for our 200 episodes, it's coming up soon. So if you, there's a film or like a series or something that you feel like we haven't done, get in touch. What are your 200 idea episodes? Yeah, I mean, bear in mind for the 100th episode, we did He-Man, Master of the Universe. So the bar's low. Which I, I'm not joking. That was one of my favourite episodes. It's up, the, it's up the list. Just what fucking shambles that film was <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's, got, it's got some, some it's got some keepers in it mate like like uh, story storybook cowgirl <laughs> oh yeah blade there's so much greatness that came out of that episode so we want to top it we want it to be twice as good I can see it being sort of like Jean-Claude Van Damme's well, time cop but we don't have to we don't have to oh more on that next week <laughs> something like that so um, that's our show for this week if you like it don't forget to uh, subscribe. You get a new episode each and every week for free in your inbox every Monday. Um, and if you leave us a review, you know, we'll, we'll think of you in our dreams. Yeah, thank you.
Next week, we're looking, we're going back to the 90s in one of our special episodes where we uh, take on a whole year reviewing the movies of, what are we doing, 93? Doing 1994, the film year that famously brought us John Cole Van Damme's Time Cop. Oh, there, there's the link. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to look. So we've done uh, 1999 and we've done 1990 previously. 95, I think we've done. So yeah, no order. We're just going to go for 94. It's still 94. 94. <laughs> so we're going to go for 94. Right, if you don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.